it has been fascinating. There has been so much drama that is not manufactured because you have um, really, really young and let's say impressionable or drunk um, (laughs) people making choices and watching people make choices uh, it's guaranteed going to be a good time. True. That's true. That is true. That is a fair point. Yeah. It is yeah. fascinating to watch people make choices. I agree with that. This is Sarah Stewart Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. I'm thrilled to be back here with you today after spring break. We have a very special episode featuring my beloved friend, Leslie Foss, who has stepped in to co-host with me while Beth is on spring break. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. We're going to tackle the headlines at the top of the show. And then outside of politics, we're going to ask a very important question that Leslie is invested in and I am completely uninvested in. Has the Bachelor franchise jumped the shark? (laughs) But before we get to that for our main segment, fear not, you'll get to hear from Beth in today's episode. She recorded an amazing interview with Emily Ho, or as you may know her from Instagram, Authentically Emmy, about exercise, fashion, and size inclusivity. Emily will also be taking over our Instagram tomorrow on Wednesday, April 13th. So get excited about that. Before we get started, well, actually, one very important note, Leslie, I thought we should make. If people hear you call me Gunner, which I would do, never, never. I do. do you want to tell them why you call me Gunner? We call you Gunner because in law school, you were a Gunner, mm. which means that um, you raise your hand very enthusiastically, <laughs> like out of its socket many times <laughs> um, to join the discussion. I didn't mind it because I didn't want to get called on. So it took um, some of the heat away from other people. That's a benefit of having a gunner. True, true, true. It, the best part is I gave myself the nickname because my husband, who'd already graduated from law school and was working as an attorney, was like, wait, are you a gunner? And I very mistakenly shared this conversation. I don't even remember, just at a party or something, and people were like, oh, yeah. yeah, that is you. So I, like, gave myself this dumb nickname. Yeah. And it's so funny because sometimes Leslie will – you're the only one who who pretty consistently still calls me that. And we'll be around like friends from college and they'll be so confused. I remember one time in D.C., you were with my friend Annie from college and she was like, who's Gunner? And I was like, oh, that's me. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sure our audience is just shocked and appalled. I'm Uh, sure they can't imagine the fact that you had a lot to share mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. during our law school discussions. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, before we get started, Leslie, have you heard that we have a book coming out? I have heard. You have heard. Now, have you pre-ordered your book? Are you just I have pre-ordered it. I was was like, you better not be just hoping I'll just be sharing that pre-order bonus link with you because you're my friend. I'm so I haven't gotten a link yet, but I have ordered the form. This is good. We can talk you through this process. Yeah. Once you pre-order, which we hope you all will, you can fill out a form. We'll put the link in the show notes and you get invited to our live launch party on May 3rd. Or you can Mm -hmm. show up at Waco on April 30th and celebrate with us that way, which would also be fun. That would be nice. Yeah. You can come. You want to come? Um, I can't because um, Peachy and Chapa will be in town. 
That's Leslie's parents. They're the best. Okay. That's a, that's a valid excuse. So in celebration and anticipation for this Waco event, Clint Harp and I are going to host a Peloton ride together tonight as this episode comes out, Tuesday, April 12th, 7 o'clock Central. The link is in the show notes. If you're a Peloton person, come ride with Clint and I. It's going to be great. Okay, up I next. I will not be there. I know you won't be there. I know you won't be there. But people with Peloton who like exercise (laughs) can come. All right. Crazy people. (laughs) Up next, we've got some headlines to tackle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We've got another surge in COVID cases. We know that, even though a lot of people are testing at home and they shut down the testing sites. Leslie, you were like, no one wants to talk about COVID still. And then, and then, and then... It became very relevant to our conversation today. Would you like to tell the people why? We we got the Rona. We got, got it here it. in our house. It's you been, it. this is the first time um, there are five of us in our house. Uh, none of us have tested positive in two years of COVID. 
And we got it um, starting last week with my youngest. He was exposed in his classroom. And uh, it has uh, it has caught us all except for my oldest son. <gasps> so that Taylor has all now of tested positive. Okay, because that was rude. Taylor. He was testing negative in just a very aggressive way while everyone mm-hmm. else was sick. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I don't love that. I mean, I don't want him to get COVID. And also, it just felt a little a little rude. So, okay. So now everybody but Calvin, who had the booster probably latest, right? Yep. He had just gotten his booster last month in March, I think. So, yeah, Taylor got the fever last night. Um, he did tell me um, that he was going to hack it. And he drank so much fluid that no. he was going to just burn through it in the night. And he told me he was going to go running this morning. No. No. How'd that turn out? <laughs> He's currently in bed. Okay. I don't know what oh. my kids are doing also. So the kids are fine, right? It blew through them very quickly. Mine lingers. Um, I have lost taste and smell, which is the thing I was most afraid of. Well, not most afraid of. I don't want to die. Right. So second, maybe. So yeah, we'll see. We've, we're have we on our spring break right now. So we will remain here in isolation. Just... Well, I'm glad you're on your spring break. That makes it life yeah. just a smidge easier. I don't think you should be, you know, I, I hate the taste and smell thing for you, but I don't think it's an indication that it's just all is lost. It's just, they think it's just a genetic marker, right? That some people get it just because of a genetic marker and much not much else. That's the last thing I read about it. Maybe. I mean, it's okay. if you're telling me, yeah, all's not lost, then I immediately I'm like, well, all is lost. So <laughs> this that's is, just how I process. Yes, this is how, this is, this is, yeah, that sounds yeah. right. That sounds about right to me. I spent yeah, a lot of time over the last two years being like, Leslie, you do not have COVID. Leslie, you do not have COVID. Literally every month when I was PMSing, I thought I had COVID and then mm-hmm. I didn't. For two years, I thought every allergy cold mm-hmm, mm-hmm, stomach mm-hmm. bug that we've gotten I thought has been COVID and it never has. So it was kind of surprising to actually have it. But I know like we knew there was a surge. The mask mandates were lifted in our kids' classrooms. So I wasn't that surprised that it actually came for us. But in our pod, in the people that we've seen, um, nobody had gotten it. So this is our first our first run through with it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well I will say this. The positive news seems to be that even though there's a surge on the West Coast and the East Coast, D.C. is like riddled with it. Mm-hmm. They are saying that the hospitalizations and the death rates are not going up. That seems encouraging to me. Very. Does it feel encouraging to you even though you have COVID? <laughs> it is very encouraging. I am very grateful, of course, that we were vaccinated and boosted. So the things that I was very nervous about early COVID, I'm not as nervous about now. So. I am very glad that it it does appear that it's not increasing the race, rates of hospitalizations. I think part of it is that this last group to be getting it is more likely to be vaccinated mm-hmm. as well. And maybe right. that might be a reason also that hospitalizations have not increased. I'm not sure. But it, yeah, it just seems like it's a surge that everybody's like, oh, well. Yeah. Sort of. I think there was even an Atlantic headline that was like the first so what surge. And it feels right. very individualized, right? Like so many of the testing sites have shut down and the sort of the government approach, the government management seems to be mostly over as far as I can tell. Even Fauci, I think, was like, this is about individual choices and risk assessment now. I'm like, OK, all right. 
I mean, it's yeah. better than China where they're like, don't visit, don't go to China right now because their protocols are arbitrary and you might get quarantined. Oh, I don't know, away from your children. So I didn't realize until we had this that that a lot of the sites, I guess, that were federally run are now county run. So free testing, free PCR testing isn't available for people without insurance in a lot of places is wow. what I'm understanding, which is now it's still being provided by our state and our county. Um, but that does feel like something we should think about for the next surge that might be more serious, that we have to be able to test people without them taking out a huge financial cost. I mean, right. not even everyone can afford these at-home tests. And, you know, they were free. We got yeah. how many from the government? What, four. Yeah, that's not going to last. For anybody. a family of five. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we still need to be providing these preventative and treatment and these sorts of avenues for people to be able to know that they're positive so that they can isolate Mm-hmm. and not spread it continually around the community. Because, yeah, even if the f- I'm not in an oh well phase, like I still didn't want to get it. I didn't want to pass it. I felt terrible that we did pass it to people who we love. It's for me, I'm not in the oh well yet. Yeah. Phase. Yeah. I hear that. All right. Shall we move on to some headlines around the world? Of course, we will begin in Ukraine. Now, Leslie, Beth and Aaron Moon, who was with Beth last week while I was on spring break, they brought a lot of care to their conversation surrounding mm-hmm. the war. I'm suggesting we bring the anger. How do you feel about that? Here for it. Okay, good. Here's where I'm really struggling right now. At the beginning of the invasion, there was a lot of conversation around like how to feel about the Russian people and the Russian soldiers in particular, that they're just following orders, they're abandoning their tanks, they're sabotaging I'm really struggling with that narrative as they roll out from other parts of Ukraine, particularly around Kyiv, and we're just seeing horrors upon horrors. Like, there are missile strikes that are horrible, but there are also just individual soldier actions, executions, civilians in the street. And so I'm, re- I'm really struggling with that. This is all Putin and no one else's fault. How, how are you? Where are you at with that? Yeah, it has been so difficult to process this news and I definitely have vacillated between feeling very angry, feeling compassionate, feeling broken and sad. Um, I think that I agree. There was some very, the reports, there was that Russian soldier who was captured, who gave that press conference about really not understanding the position that he was put in. I think that that's true. But there are Russian soldiers who Mm -hmm. purposely targeted civilian homes, homes that had written People live here, children live here, and that made them targets for Russian attacks, assaults, rapes, abuses, war crimes. There is no rationale for that. No matter what you were asked to do, there is a humanity that would prevent you from making these actions. So I don't know if it's, if it's a cause of the brainwashing or if it's that they're frustrated that it's not going better and so that they're taking it out on the civilian population, but it is, I would say I have landed on anger on that Mm -hmm. position as well. It's not like I'm arguing there's something wrong with these soldiers by virtue of being Russian, right? It's not the ethnicity. I think to me, it's indicative of what we've seen in other sort of unjust, unprovoked 
deeply problematic wars, including with the behavior of our own soldiers during Vietnam, during the invasion of Iraq. I think when you put human beings in this situation, the hard truth is not everybody is going to react with humanity, that this is like a humanity eviscerating situation to put people in. And so that's what happens, right? It's like the the less just your side is, it's like you have to double down in this weird way. You know, it's not that I don't, I can't see the psychological underpinnings of what happened. And again, I don't think it's some sort of like genetic condition, but I also think we have to be honest about it because we cannot, I don't think it's fair to the Ukrainian people who have a lot of justified anger and visceral like disgust with the Russian people to be like, well, it's just Putin and you can't be mad at them. Like, well, yeah, you can. And maybe you should. And I'm not going to tell you to feel any differently. Like, that's not a cause for more violence. That's not a cause for, like, attacking Russian people wherever they live in in your country. But I also think, like, to try to ignore that there are Russians making, they're not just being ordered around by Vladimir Putin. They're making really horrific choices to support what he started including just the Russian people. Like, I mean, he's really popular. Axios had some really good coverage where they said the more horrific the allegations against Russia, including the apparent massacre of civilians in Bucha, the stronger the impulse to reject them as lies, says Grigory Yudin, a sociologist at the Moscow School of Social and Economic Sciences. Otherwise, it's just impossible to live with, Yudin says. You need some storyline that tells you how things are fine. And it's like, I get that instinct, but also you have to be held responsible for following that storyline. I agree. It's been... Really interesting to see the ways in which the Russian people have either sought out information. You know, you saw that the list of the most downloaded apps mm-hmm. prior to the invasion and after, um, and they're all now VPNs to try and get information that isn't censored from outside of the country. But you've also heard reports from Ukrainian people speaking to their relatives who are in Russia saying yep. we're evacuating, they're bombing our apartment building, and they don't believe them. Mm-hmm. And that is such a difficult thing to process that your own family members wouldn't believe the reality of your situation, even hearing from you, seeing pictures on the ground. They think that it's a part of this brainwashing conspiracy led by the Ukrainian people, which is, yeah, it's just very difficult. And at some point, it's hard to feel like they don't have more of a responsibility to to believe the truth to believe what they're seeing. And again, with the soldiers, everyone has those choices to make. And no country who has in, been involved in war is prob- is without blame in the regard that sometimes you put soldiers in there and they make choices that are horrific. And that's true of every country. It is not specific to Russia. That's what happens during war. And it is, mm-hmm. I think, valid to feel a lot of I think that the Ukrainians who are feeling anger at the Russian soldiers, not just that Vladimir Putin makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Not all Russia is a big country. They don't all feel the same way. It's I mean, in that reaction to find a a conspiratorial storyline that doesn't make you have to face the horror is happening here. Man, I sat next to somebody at the Phoenix airport and I could hear him like his back was to my back and I could hear him blubbering on to his wife about, well, look, they're posing with these body bags, but why? But why would that be? they be doing that? I mean, ask yourself. And he was like thumbing through all these YouTube conspiracy, the Ukrainians are posing. And I was, it was all I could do. All I could, oh I deserve gosh. some sort of ribbon for not being like, sir, 
sir. 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 Excuse, excuse me very much. But it's like, you know, it, I don't, although I'm not making that choice, I don't, I'm not confused by the choice to like find a conspiracy that doesn't have make you face the execution of civilians and bodies in the street. Like, you know, it's a it's a way the brain tries to handle things. And it, mm-hmm. that's not to say I felt empathy for that man in the airport. I felt a lot of rage. And my husband was like, don't you dare say anything. We are in an airport. People act crazy already. God knows how he'll react. And I was like, OK, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. And his wife, like, just she seems so uninterested in his in his like ramblings. That w- that was the only part that sort of kept me calm. I can imagine it is ripe for conspiracies because um, I love studying conspiracy theories, and they are very often related to unexplainable yep. or horrific events. Yep. There are so many conspiracy theories that crop up at at times when we don't have an explanation for what we're seeing because. It's just bad, but yep. we don't want to admit that something can just be senseless and mm-hmm. horrible. Chaos. Yeah, yep. chaos. We want a rationale to it. That's how we order our thinking. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, and I think that's true too. The more horrific images that come out of Ukraine, the less likely it is that people who don't want to believe it will believe it because it's it's so much harder to process that it can really be that bad. So it's easier to believe that it's fake. And I think what's so hard is it feels like the choices we're making are either conspiracy theories or disengagement. Because what, I mean, mm-hmm. I struggle this, this is my job. What am I supposed to say? What can I do? What what options do I have before me as an engaged, thoughtful human who f- believes myself to be ethical as the attacks against civilians just grow and grow and grow? I can give money. I do. I can you know, pay attention and keep the attention on Ukraine. I do as best I can. But, you know, the options are not great. The options before us are not great. No. And I think and I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners, a lot of people who saw that little baby with her contact Mm -hmm. information written on her back that said, I got to take a break from this. I Mm -hmm. literally cannot go about my day if I see that picture one more time or think about the ramifications of that mother in that position that's where I was like, I was like, I have to step back from this because it's so overwhelming. So yeah, you have to disengage. I mean, you don't have to disengage, but I think that's the response to a lot of people to see these. We have so many images and videos in real time of what's happening there that it's hard to not look away and it's hard to continue to watch. Yeah. And even if you it, it's just sort of ever present in a way that's difficult. You know, we're traveling around the state of Utah. We're having these amazing moments as a family. And I think, well, I can't, you know, to not do this does not decrease their suffering. But I also don't it feels gross to think about it and be like use it as a tool to feel more grateful. That feels gross, too. Right. You know, like it's just the options suck. The emotional options suck. The physical options suck. Like there's just it's shitty. it's just it's shitty for them. It's shitty for the Russians. It's shitty for the whole world. It's increasing. It's going to increase hunger. It's going to increase sort of the political instability. We see a little bit of that in France with the election with Le Pen surging this populist candidate who's pointing out all the ways that the cost of living is increasing. It's just, it's a hard time. It's a hard time to be a human no matter where you live. That's right. 
and it's going to, we're going to feel it here. And I, I, I know people realize that, but with the Russian defaulting on their loans, you know, I was reading about that this morning as well, that there are going to be financial consequences that we feel here and it's going to be frustrating, but that sometimes happen when you have a bad actor on the world stage, the repercussions of that are tremendous and we'll feel it here emotionally, financially. It's just, um, it just really is all encompassing and it's hard to focus on anything else. Well, and I think that's the only sort of encouraging action that I feel like this is something I can do because my fate as a citizen, as a global citizen, is most closely tied up with the people of Ukraine through the global economy. We don't share a continent. We don't share a border. And so that's like a very tangible way our fates are tied up. So the very least I can do is just pay more and communicate in as many ways to my legislators, to the people I'm in community with that like this is a price I'm willing to pay. I'm what this is the very least I can do for these people in that baby. Right. It's just pay more and suck it up and realize that, like, we're not in control. And like the populism is not the answer. I, you know, dearly, dearly pray that the people of France make the same calculus and choice um, as they head into that runoff. And, I, you know, I think the people of the world like to me, that's that's what we can do is just say, like, we we will pay more. It is the the absolute least we can do. And that might stretch on for a while. And that's OK. Like, right. Because that sucks. But like the the war stretching off has much greater consequences than how it's going to hit our pocketbook here in the United States. Now, it's, you know, it's all heavy. There's a lot of cost. Should we before we leave the segment pivot and just talk about Elon Musk? Seems like a nice, easy person to beat up on. He can take it. He's got plenty of money. Shout The shall most we money. The he most has the money. most money. He has the most money. Do you want to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter just real quickly? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Elon Musk is the richest man in the world, in case you hadn't heard. He bought a 9.2% stake in Twitter. Yes. I'm not even sure how that happens. He just buys enough stock that it's the 9.2% stake. Correct. Okay, I think pr- that makes He didn't sense. want to round down or up to no, make it an even like number? No, he was like 9.2%. What will give me the largest sharehold, not a percentage point more? Okay. Yeah. And then I couldn't tell if just the large share triggered the – like, it's if it's some sort of automatic invitation to the board of directors or if they just thought that was like, this is what he wants. He wants to – he had lots of big ideas, lots of big mm-hmm. critiques, lots of big ideas that, of course, he shared on It Twitter. seemed like that's what he wanted and they yeah. offered it to him. Then he was like, JK. Just, JK, don't want to. Well, I read that this this could have there was been regulations about how much stock he could own. So I don't know if he would have had to sell in order to get on the board. I think he would have. I think it was like, well, you know, once you're on the board, you owe a fiduciary duty to Twitter. And he was like, oh, well, I was just going to come in and create chaos. This seems less fun. So maybe not. But this it's very close lip. They're not really saying that much. Yeah, the statement was very funny. It was like, here's what we can tell you about what happened. And it was like, I'd love to know what you can't, you can't tell me. Tell, can you can you share anything else? Is there some you can't tell where me. are like DC anonymous sources? People in DC would be like, I can tell you all kinds of things, just put my name on it. Where are the people at Twitter that where are anonymous sources at Twitter? That's what That's I mean. That's right. The Doom Law of uh Twitter. <laughs> I just he is so fascinating. I read a profile of is it Grimes? Is that his girlfriend's name? Uh-huh. Did you on know again, that, off again? You are, well, did you know they had another secret baby? Yes. 
Yeah, it revealed in this Vanity Fair profile, and I was like, accidentally revealed. Accidentally, because the baby started crying. Yeah, and classic. Just, you can't hide a baby. Can't no, hide one. No, no, they will not be hidden. And so it was just there's so much intergalactic artificial intelligence, you know, just out there conversations between the two of them and like how they connected. I just I I have a lot of trouble. Wrapping my brain around Elon Musk and his life and his choices so most many, of the time. So many choices. The thing is, it's just sometimes people are very smart in a certain areas. Mm-hmm. And he seems very smart, maybe making spaceships. That seems to be going pretty well for him, right? He can make yeah. them go up and he can make them come back down and land on those little pads. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I definitely couldn't do that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that would translate well to knowing how to set policy for a tech company right platform he the things that he has tweeted about like about how the top followers aren't like tweeting as much and so like twitter must be dead and it's like my man what are you talking about <laughs> that's not how twitter works and that makes me really nervous that you don't understand that or you want it to be something different, and I just don't know what his what his play is really with with Twitter. He seems like he contemplated starting a competitor for Twitter, and maybe somebody from Twitter was like, "Well, why don't you just buy more stock and help us from the inside?" They probably didn't say that, but maybe someone suggested that, and he was like, "That's a good idea." But what is his big plan? Like just an edit button? <laughs> Well, and here's the thing. Somebody like Elon Musk, who's so innovative, it's just hard to know when the innovation, like you said, sort of that innovative thinking is applicable and when it is problematic. I worry that there's not enough people in Elon Musk's life telling him the truth because there probably were people telling him that, like, this isn't going to work with Tesla. This isn't going to work with the rocket ships. And now, now he's decided... Well, I'm always right, and any time anybody tells me the truth, it feel it feels like that there becomes this sort of aura of like the way I think is always correct, and that concerns me a little bit. With the, I mean, that to me, like, listen, I've watched three seasons of Succession. That's problematic. Anytime you're just really wealthy, that there's not enough people telling you the truth because they're worried you'll cut them off. I mean, we know um, so seems- he doesn't have people around him telling him the truth, otherwise. Those wouldn't be his baby names. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. See? So those would maybe be middle names. You know, right. and maybe you'd go with a classic as the first name. Something I don't even need a classic. Pronounce. Just something pronounce. Just something people can pronounce. Right. But okay. that's how you know. People who are so outside of reality, everyone around them is like, wow, yes. so inventive, so creative. How many Gregs? People are going to love it. How many yes, Gregs somebody, does Elon Musk so have? So many Cousin Gregs. So many Cousin Gregs. God, I hope so. Okay, well, we'll stop beating up on Elon for now because it doesn't matter how much we beat up on him. He's still going to be the richest man in the world. If he sends me a couple million dollars, I'll say something nice about him. That's right. On Twitter. On Twitter. On Twitter. That there offer we go. stands. That's it. Yeah, agreed. All right, next up, Beth sat down for an incredible conversation with Emily Ho that I know everyone is going to enjoy. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. 
Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I'm so excited to be here with Emily Ho, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. But first, I just have to say that I feel like I'm talking to like a genuine internet celebrity. So it's <laughs> astonishing to me if people are listening and don't know who you are, because I have followed you for a long time. And I'm delighted that you're here and that you're a fellow Kentuckian. But other than that, why don't you give your own introduction? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I have your voice in my head often when I'm trying to talk through things. And I'm like, I wish I could just channel the, the voice of Beth. 
and stay calm and reasonable and, and get things out how she talks. So I'm very oh, excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I, my name's Emily Ho. I have a plus size fashion lifestyle ish blog called authentically Emmy that I started 12 years ago as a weight loss blog, which is ironic because now I am firmly anti-diet culture, pro body neutrality, pro joyful movement. Um, whereas in the beginning, it was all about trying to figure out how to move my body in a way that felt comfortable um, and a way to shed some weight. And that ended up being through public accountability. I thought if I could do the thing that the biggest loser does, where someone has to watch them and do all the training, then somehow that external eyes on me will help reduce my size. Spoiler, it led to a lot of injury and I didn't. (laughs) So, um, but throughout that, I had started sharing photos of random outfits taken on a little clicky digital camera that I would set up on a shelf in my office. And people started asking a lot more about clothes. And then I realized, oh, wait, people have not spent the amount of time I have trying to find pieces that will fit my body. So maybe I can share some of that. And so throughout the past 12 years, I've been sharing plus size fashion, specifically extended plus size fashion. So that's things that you actually can't usually find in a plus size store. So forget regular source, plus size stores, and then you have extended plus size. And I can go into the the different variables of what those are later, but really just spending time trying to find outfits for me that express my personality and the way I want to appear in the world. And it's uh, a chore to try to do that and find these pieces. So I just try to share things that I find and fill some gaps um, as far as people's knowledge and where they can access these styles. And also really trying to push companies to expand their sizing and also rethink the way that they are talking about size inclusivity. Is it actually inclusive? And the majority of the time, it's not. So let's do some terms as we get into it, because you Mm -hmm. talked about joyful movement. Can you talk about what that means? Yeah, joyful movement. It's another way that people are talking about exercise. And I have a long sorted history with, with exercise and a lot of it comes in the form of punishment. And so in trying to reevaluate, how do you think about movement and your body, which most people don't hate exercise, like they don't hate moving their bodies. They don't have anything against wanting to be more flexible or strong or have more endurance, but it comes so much of it is ingrained in us that it is a punishment, that it is an all or nothing situation. You have to do these things you have to do them in this order and you have to do them for this long amount of time. And if you miss one, you're a failure. And so it really takes away the pressure of the all or nothing. And it is about finding ways to move your body that you genuinely enjoy. Some people really have a problem with the term joyful because they're like, well, I'm not always going to be happy to work out. I'm like, well, that's, it's not, it doesn't mean that. And if you want to say, you know, neutral movement or whatever term works for you, but it really is about removing the pressure of what I should be doing to what my body wants to do. And that's been a huge shift in the way that it's easier to, you know, want to go and move my body. If there's not that negative pull Um, and resistance that's tied to it. So finding an activity I love and then being able to go and do it, whatever I want to do it. And if I don't want to do it, my body doesn't feel like it, it's, it's no big deal. So I find ways to listen to my body and move in a way that that feels good. And it's still exercise. It's just framing it without the form of punishment or the shoulds. 
which is surprisingly radical, right? I remember (laughs) when I started teaching yoga, I was in a class and I was talking about getting into a shape gently. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you start to feel pinching, burning, pulling, we want to come out because we're here to care for our bodies and to work with them instead of against them. And after class, a woman came up to me who had been a very serious dancer for much of her life. And she said, I cannot tell you what a shape-shifting concept it is to think about working with your body instead of against it. And just that reframe is is hugely powerful. Okay, I want to ask you about body neutrality as opposed to body positivity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have, they take issue with body positivity because it's the same thing as joyful movement. It sounds too good to be true. Like I have to be positive about my body at all times. That feels really unattainable to a lot of people. On the flip side, we're also having a lot of co-opting of the body positivity, positivity movement by smaller bodies when really body positivity was started as a socio-political movement inspired by civil rights by activists who were trying to end discrimination. So it wasn't about, I feel good about my body, or I look in a mirror and don't hate myself. It really was rooted in how do we change the systems that block off accessibility to fat people? And, you know, because it's shifted so much, I don't know that there's one definition of body positivity anymore. So my personal journey in this is that it's moved more to um, body neutrality, which means my body is just, it just exists. It is a vessel. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be bad. It is something that takes me from one place in the world to another. It helps me fulfill the things that I need to fulfill as a human. And it's, it's just a body. There's no moral attachment or emotion that needs to sit um, within, within my brain and my body, my body just is. And so that I think takes a little bit of pressure off from the people who are just like, I can't be positive all the time. That's not me. Um, and also just it accepts that not everybody will feel a certain way, good or bad. About, does, they don't have to feel good or bad about the body. The body just exists. Um, and so that's why I think neutrality feels a little bit more realistic for people to reach to. Um, but if po- body positivity is something that you identify with, then that's great too. There are certain elements of that that I'm like, yeah, but it's lost a lot of the political meaning and, um, I guess, momentum as far as pushing to end fat discrimination and making places more accessible. And that's something that I'm really aligned to. It's not just, oh, what does my body look like today? Oh, I'm cute. How do you think about that neutrality idea in a culture where speaking about being fat as though it is always a detriment to one's health is very acceptable. And I'm thinking especially about the last couple of years with COVID and how commonplace it is to just talk about necessarily obesity as a risk factor. I would love to hear you kind of reflect on the way that this conversation has happened. It seems like we've both had a lot of momentum around stop discriminating against fat people. Let's do health at any size. Let's do fashion at every size. And at the same time, the the conversation continues to be very one note about the health piece. Right. And 
I think in some ways, COVID has almost made it more socially acceptable to then bring in the the health aspect and how we talk about health and fat bodies. And look, you're a detriment to society, which honestly has been the talking point for anti, you know, for fat discrimination throughout the years is, oh, your body costs more to our healthcare system. Oh, your body, you know, you're just going to keel over and die. And it's like, "Mm." you don't know anything about me. You don't know anything about my health markers. It's not your place to sit there and say this. I would never say that to someone with a chronic health condition like cancer. I wouldn't say, oh, well, you have cancer. You're not healthy. Like it's putting a lot of blame and a lot of responsibility on the person. And then we get into body autonomy and people who are like, well, you're fat, just lose weight. Um, That very black and white thinking. And the way that the diet industry and culture has really put the war on obesity, uh, that horrible term that has vilified fat as the worst thing that you can be. Um, it's, I think COVID has really, unfortunately, shifted a lot of that talk back to the acceptability piece because they're saying, oh, well, this is a public health issue, COVID. And so obviously your fat is a risk factor and you're going to die. And I took some of that. I had COVID um, in 2020 around Thanksgiving and I took so much of that in and I was like, I'm fat. I'm going to, I'm just going to die. <laughs> and I, Obviously I'm here and I'm fine, but yeah, it's just, it's a long sorted history. And I, I don't feel really like we're in any better situation now. I think some people are, are more thoughtful in how they might phrase certain things like, oh, I just want everybody to be healthy. Um, but there's always that biting undercurrent of, okay, but healthy to you, maybe you don't know me. So I'm glad you said that about internalizing some of it around COVID. I had COVID uh, in January and it was mild case. It, I mean, it was not fun and I don't recommend it, but I, I went through it just fine. I do think that the hardest piece to kind of get out of for me is this feeling that like something must be lurking in my body because I'm fat. I must have, I must have had some kind of experience that I don't know about yet. And when is it going to come up and get me? And I do think it's just because of the way the conversation has unfolded. And it's really frustratingly unnecessary at a time when we have plenty of things to worry about. <laughs> I just didn't need another one. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I always feel, or I mean, I try not to, I try to be very conscious of these feelings, but there is, it'll always peep back in there. Like, oh, the other shoe's going to drop. Something's going to show up in my body that has not been seen before. And I will all of a sudden become a casualty just like everybody else. And, the, you know, everybody, all the fat people, because we all must have just died of fatness, right? Not of any other condition. And it, it sticks in your mind and it's really difficult every time you hear something, you know, with fatness related to it, you know, even just looking at Twitter, people talking about 50 cent in the Super Bowl and talking about, he has a larger body now and all of the jokes. And I'm like, 50 cent is never going to hear you complain about his size, but all of your fat friends will. So that every time those things pop up, it's like, something bubbles to the surface for a second and then you have to suppress it because in the truth of the matter is, first of all, we don't owe health to anybody. Um, that's, that's mm-hmm. not a moral obligation that, that an individual, you know, owes to society, but not being able to, you can't look at my health markers and see what my doctor sees or what whoever sees. So 
Yeah. Well, talk with us about that access piece around fashion. So when we think about discrimination against fat people, which I know is a concept that a lot of folks just are not oriented to at all because you haven't struggled to put an airplane seatbelt on or to be on an amusement park ride safely. Um, so if you've, if you've never thought about this at all, take us through that experience, especially as it relates to fashion. I think when you said it's a chore, everything inside me was like, yes, it's a chore to find something to wear. Yeah. And as, as someone who has been branded like a plus size fashion blogger, I sometimes get a little bit of resistance to that because I don't know that what I have is fashion because fashion is absolutely not accessible to me mm. as an extended size person. I don't know what my style would be if I had the breadth of access to styles of clothing that people in quote unquote straight sizes. So under a size 14 have, um, I can't say, oh, this is my style. This is the style based on what is available to me. And that is after hours of selecting. So 2018, there was a study of all the major multi-brand retailers. So like Macy's, Nordstrom's, um, all of these department store brands that sell multiple different, multiple brands. And of those, all the items in those stores, only 2.3% were plus size. And then of those, (laughs) I don't know how, what tiny percentage of those are actually plus size above a size 24, which is where standard plus sizes stop. I am above that size. I'm a 28. So they're really probably half a percent, if I'm really lucky, of clothes from all of those places that I can fit into. I can't walk into, I live in Louisville. This is a big city. (laughs) And I can't walk into more than three stores in my city that have my label on their, on their clothing. If I look online, there's so much, there's so many clothes. And of those places, there are maybe 10 that I can reliably order from. So the amount of time that I have, like if I have an event coming up, I can't just run to a store and get something. I can't order something from a site that ships quickly. I might have to order custom sizing. I might have to, um, you know, wait for something to ship from overseas. That's a special order because they don't make this size constantly. So it's, I spent four hours yesterday looking for outfits to wear to a conference. And I think I came away with maybe four outfits. And of those (laughs) outfits, I usually end up returning, you know, 80% of what I order. I just did that with a big anthropology order. I love their stuff so much, but I ordered 10 pieces, which is really expensive. And then I ended up sending all but one back. And so you have to learn about shipping and returns. You have to constantly go to the UPS store. You have to really understand your body and analyze the fabrics that everything is made of, the cut of everything, read all of the reviews. And it's exhausting. It's not experiencing fashion in a way that a lot of people do, which is kind of fun and lighthearted. And then in the undercurrent of exploring all of these styles, not only are you trying to literally find something that fits your body, you also have all the old rules of fashion that are coming in. The ones that say fat people shouldn't wear stripes, fat people, you know, shouldn't wear big prints or bold colors or anything that's tight around your belly. You can only wear hourglass shaped things. You need to belt your waist to cinch it in. You need to minimize, you know, how you visually appear to the world. So all of that goes into trying to shop for 
extended plus size fashion. Yeah, everything contained in the word flattering feels hard. Yes. Diving into that world, what have you found that has changed positively and where are we still stuck? The extended size conversation really lands with me. I felt overjoyed when I got a somersault catalog this year and saw some bodies that looked more like my body. But I also realized we're becoming more inclusive of like the the bottom tier of plus sizes. Um, so I would love to hear your reflections on that. Yeah, I am happy, you know, for everybody who is under a size 2022, they've gotten a lot more options. So you mentioned somersault and everyone's like, oh, somersault's inclusive. I'm like, they don't include me. You know, anthropology introduced plus sizes two years ago and they go up to a 26. It's a small 26, but it's a 26. And they're like, we're inclusive. I'm like, you don't fit me. It's constant. I got pitched for four different brand deals in the past two months for clothes that literally don't fit me. I'm like, I can't represent your brand. <laughs> you literally don't fit me. And then they're like, well, some of our styles run big. And I'm like, why would I want to put myself in that box? But it is good that those opportunities are coming up because it does show there are brands that are trying. And I do think that it has become, you know, you've seen even J. Crew has introduced plus sizes up to a 3X or 20. 224. That's great. Athleta introduced plus sizes in nearly every single thing and they put them in stores. That was revolutionary. I walked into a store and on the same table as my, you know, size 26, which is what I wear there, they had size zero. And I'm shopping in the same, same store, same section of the store, same table in a place that I never thought I would be able to do that. And it was honestly strange because I was like, where's my department? Where's my corner of the store? And so there have, there have absolutely been great moves. And I do think that, you know, we do have some, it really moves the needle. I feel like when you have conventionally thin, attractive people talking about the importance of this, like Jamila Jamil's, um, her podcast is, has been good to open up the conversation to, uh, you know, more people, the podcast maintenance phase, which is amazing about exploring the history of fat bias and crazy diets that we've done and the history of the BMI. There are those that are getting more appreciation and a lot more attention. And so I think that is really helping spread the conversation. There's still so far to go. Um, but definitely for those who are under, you know, 20 to 24, there has been a lot of growth. So Sarah would fire me from fancy politics if I didn't ask you about Peloton, because I know that you are uh, a devoted. What is the word for it? What is the word for a person who loves Peloton? I don't know. But anyway, I would love to hear you Cold talk number, about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear you talk about the experience of of Peloton in in this sort of joyful movement framework and also inclusivity. Because I have to tell you, I get on most bikes and I'm very very uncomfortable, and yeah. I don't like to be uncomfortable. There's no joy in that for me to be honest with you. (laughs) Don't blame you. Um, Yeah. I bought a Peloton about a year and a half ago because I'd had some, I moved to Louisville, lost the comfort of my gym where I had finally learned that I can move my body there and not feel self-conscious. It's a very small space. Um, When I moved here, I just lost my my movement altogether, because I also in the past have walked around my, not my neighborhood I live in now, but other neighborhoods and have been shouted out, thrown eggs at, like just for walking, just for walking and doing the movement that people say that I should be doing as a fat person. 
So I was like, I'm not, I don't feel in the right headspace to challenge myself to get out and walk, even though that's a very low likelihood anything would happen. It just didn't feel safe to me. So Peloton was a way for me to have something in my house that I could use whenever I wanted. And I thought it's going to turn into a coat hanger, but I have a 30-day <laughs> return policy. So I'll just see. Also, I am above the weight limit for Peloton. There's a weight limit, obviously, for any type of equipment. I'm over the weight limit. Um, and yes, I have a very large behind and fitting on a tiny little uh, bike seat was um, a challenge. I didn't know that I could get over and it turns out your butt adjusts or you can buy a larger seat, you can adapt. But Peloton was a way for me to be able to access the fun content and also community I can ride with friends from across the country that I never thought I'd get to exercise with. So it's just been really, really fun. I love working out to music. So it was like, and I've done spinning before and I've enjoyed it. So I thought, oh, this is something I really like, I want to go do this. I would love to go do this. And so the Peloton just offered the accessibility of having it in my house in a space where I can wear a sports bra and bike shorts and not feel a bit of shame about it or wondering what other people are thinking. Yeah. And I turn on my little disco light <laughs> and turn the lights off and, you know, ride out. And it's, it's been transformative. Not that Peloton is necessarily the most transformative thing ever, but the ability to have a safe space and access to not have any hurdles to getting to the equipment and constant new stuff that I can then, you know, work out with new content. I don't have to worry about repeating anything. It keeps it exciting. Are there any, as we wrap up here, tips that you want to leave the audience with for either finding that safe space or supporting people who haven't found that safe space? When you said people who think I ought to be exercising also keep me from exercising safely, that is very, very striking. And I would love to kind of have a call to action wrapped around that. I think it's difficult because those sorts of things strike so deep that it, and it takes so long to come out of. You have to really fully understand that your body is, is good just as it is. Your attempts to move are good just as they are. And so really thinking about it, it's what makes me excited to move. I ran a half marathon. I hate, I hate running, but I thought that's what I had to do because that's what everybody was doing was running for movement. So I was like, okay, I definitely don't want to do running. Um, what are the things I, I love music, love music. What can I do to move my body to music? Well, you know, jazzercise or other things in person. I don't feel safe doing that right now. Um, okay. What's another option? What can I do from home? Okay. I can do exercise classes from home. Uh, I don't really love like floor aerobics. So, you know, just going through things that you like and that you enjoy and that you can easily access without, you know, having to drive a long way and then be faced with mental blocks. You know, I'm really trying to think of ways to make this better. I do think finding, um, health at every size fitness, joyful movement groups on Facebook or following the hashtags on Instagram, you can see a much wider variety of bodies who are participating in movement. Uh, and that propels me. That makes me excited. Like, Oh my gosh, that person's doing it. Like surely I can do it. Just little things like that. Make it normalized in your feed. Oh Yeah there's somebody doing something that I want to do and they look like me. It shouldn't be that revolutionary. It's, but it's, that's kind of the point where we're at right now. It's just striking that there really aren't 
spaces, even as we've made a lot of progress here, where things just feel okay. I have put off going to see a doctor because I know that we're going to have a conversation about weight Mm -hmm. because we do every time I go. (laughs) And the conversation is always like, I mean, your thyroid number seems fine and your diet is good and you're moving. Like, I just don't understand. And I just want to say, like, can we please stop dwelling on this then? If everything is okay, why are we, why are we dwelling? Yeah, I think, I think also feeling like we have the power to decide who our providers are. That's one thing that I really wish I could figure out how to do. But every time I share about going to the doctor, people are like, oh, I'm scared to go to the doctor. I'm like, listen, me too. My blood pressure skyrockets. I like, I get like flustered. My pulse goes up. It just makes everything worse. But I think knowing, you know, knowing what you're there for saying, I mean, you can say, I do not wish to be weighed. Is it medically necessary for my treatment today to be weighed or turning around and not facing the scale? If that's something that really triggers you. And if a conversation about weight comes up, you know, is this thing that you're recommending me do to solve my earache, the same thing? Is this the same conversation you would have with a thin person? Because if my, if my weight is not affecting this particular issue, is that something that we can, can we move on past from that conversation? It's really difficult. I, burned um during covid i spilled a french press pot of coffee i just poured the whole thing of boiling water in it i started to press it down and it exploded all over my stomach um it was second degree burns huge i mean the size of a dinner plate across my stomach and i refused to go to urgent treatment to get seen because i was like i don't know who the doctor is i don't have trust with this doctor I don't want them to see my stomach because that's just going to be another conversation. They can already see I'm fat. I definitely don't want them to see my stomach. So I put off, I mean, I put off treatment until finally I was like, oh, this is going to be a real bad scar. And so then I was able to go to my normal doctor, but it, it definitely, everything that is happening in the world and the messages that we're getting, it's all pointing to people actively discouraging the things to seek out health when that's what they want you to be is healthy, right? But yet going to a doctor feels like an overwhelming situation where you are just destined to fail. Going to a gym where you are trying to move your body is something that is subject to eyes and snickers. So it's difficult. Well, your work makes me feel less alone and uh, a little bit braver and a lot more honest. And I am really grateful to you for that. So tell everyone where they can find everything that you are putting into the world. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that. If I can do nothing else, um, speaking the uncomfortable parts and helping other people recognize that they're not alone is my goal in life. So thank you. Um, my blog is authentically dot com, and you can find me there. All my socials are linked there. Instagram is auth M E A U T H E M M I E. Um, And yeah, you can send me DMs, send me emails. I'm always online. Follow me on Peloton. If you're on there, I'll see you on the leaderboard. Off at me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. 
Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thank you, Emily. Again, Emily will be taking over our Instagram account tomorrow, Wednesday, April 13th, answering your questions, showing off her fashion, and being her whole beautiful self. We are so grateful to her for sharing herself with us. And you can find links to Emily's website and Instagram account on our website and see her takeover tomorrow on Instagram at Pantsy Politics. Okay, Leslie. Okay. Outside politics. Okay. We're going to talk about The Bachelor slash Exciting. Bachelorette, Bachelor Nation. What's the all-encompassing term we're supposed to use? Bachelor Nation. Bachelor Nation. Okay. How long have you been watching The Bachelor? I have no idea. I saw that question. <laughs> and I was like, I literally cannot remember 
when I've watched it. The thing is, when I'm not actively watching it, it completely ceases to remain in my memory. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I like that. And I hate it. I want to be clear. And when I'm not watching it, I was like, I'll never watch it again. And then the new season starts and then you're like, I better watch it. And then I accidentally watch it. So on the other end. So I don't know how long I've been watching it. Many, many years. Many years. Not from the beginning, though. Not like I didn't see those old, the like, how long has it been on? 20 something years? Yeah, no. No idea. So I've only seen a a single episode of The Bachelor at Best House when she hosted a bachelor party. Was it fun? Uh, Her neighbors were delightful and it was fun, but the show really grosses me out. I don't want to watch people tongue kiss on reality shows. It's really, and it's aggressive. Like it's we watched the so first episode, aggressive. and there was like an aggressive amount of tongue kissing. Mm-hmm. But I am in the same way that I've never seen an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and read every long read about Kimmy and her sisters. Like I understand the cultural import. I'm fascinated. We had a guest on who was talking, who compared it to like. A beauty pageant, like it's like the sort of the new beauty pageant. You get to see people Mm. sort of trot out. I mean, in the beginning with your viewership, let me just ask you personally, like in the beginning, were you ever watching it from like a romantic angle? Like I want to see. Okay. Okay. So that was never, never, not one time. Okay. Oh, no. Just pure. I wanted, I liked the train wrecks. I liked watching it. You were, I was never once thinking this seems like a good way for someone to find a meaningful relationship <laughs> i'm invested what were I the red wait. flags what were the, the cameras maybe maybe <laughs> cameras now i have seen the show based on the bachelor what was that show called it was so good mm. i watched the first season about the ex- producer real yeah unreal. unreal yeah that show was good i liked that show i thought that was interesting so that part you know sort of the the cultural import the sort of management strategy approach of the producers is sort of interesting to me. But as an outsider, even I have perceived a shift in, let's say, the last five years. There's been several sort of controversies, particularly surrounding race. They fired the main host guy. I don't know his name. Chris Harrison. That guy. Fired Mm -hmm. him. I knew that. Replaced him with just another (laughs) plain dude. (laughs) Plain dude. Not a lot to offer. Well, there was the two girls at first, though, right? They had two. The episode I watched, there was two women hosting. Oh, you did watch that one. Yeah. Caitlin and Tasha. Okay. Whom I liked both of them so much in their seasons as the Bachelorettes. They were both former Bachelorettes. It also feels like people are, like, not getting engaged anymore. Have they? Do we not do that anymore? So it's so interesting. I do think there has been a shift, and I read something about how... There was this kind of peak time where if you were on The Bachelorette, it meant access to the Instagram fortune pipeline, right? right. So influencer. if you were on it, you could become an influencer and make money, monetize your time on the show. And that seems to have dried up, I, w- I will say. It seems like the, the market is saturated with influencers. Mm, right. And people aren't watching it enough or it's not breaking through enough to be relevant and because it is such a dated concept, it's such an odd, antiquated thing where it pretends to take this like romantic fairy tale version of romance where you don't, you date people in these elegant gowns and you give them roses or whatever, and then you go have sex in these <laughs> fantasy suites. <laughs> 
And then you talk about it the next day as if, oh, we had this wonderful intimate time together without the cameras. And it's like, but the culture has moved past that. That is not what we're doing. We're not, especially young people, especially, you know, who I, and I am not, to be no, clear. Right. TikTok has m- made me very aware. I'm not a young person. So these people are not cutesy about having sexual relationships, have dating people, you know, in these ways, you know, so it's an unusual format and there is still interesting things that happen on the show that are kind of unique, but it does feel like a dated premise and no longer people are making their money from it. So I'm not sure how much longer it will be around. I thought when they brought in the female hosts that that would be an interesting direction to take it. And then they fired them and brought back. So the Bachelor Nation, I'll tell you, is really divided. And you saw that when the race stuff began to happen. So you would know, just ask anyone who watches The Bachelor, do they or do they not like Rachel Lindsay? That's the litmus test for people who right. watch the show. Because that is that the girl that Chris Harrison defended? No, no, no. That's a different. That's Rachel. Con- con- some- Too many Rachels. I know. Rachel Lind- Lindsay was the first Black Bachelorette. Oh, She's okay. the one. He was on her podcast, basically telling her, talking over her in a and being very defensive about the race stuff that was on the sh- the current oh, season of the show. Okay. So Rachel Lindsay was the first Black Bachelorette. If you like Rachel Lindsay and you like her, how she has been outspoken about the problems with it and how they should change and adapt and become more modern, then you're my type of viewer. You're the type of viewer who has watched the show, is ready for it to change and evolve. And if you do not like Rachel Lindsay and are very defensive of maybe Chris Harrison, maybe not, but just in general, I think that speaks more to the people who are either watching the show because they they do enjoy the like love story or they just want it to remain what it has been right for because it's comforting and that's okay too but but that's sort of the divide in it so you'll see that in comment sections and in responses to different leads or or people on the show that's at least my version that's what i think the there's a dividing line between the people who who want the show to continue as is or change and adapt and become something a little bit different, a little updated. Well, here's the thing, too. To me, it's what's so interesting, like, you know, probably COVID accelerated the Bachelor Nation either decline, evolution, just like it accelerated everything else. Right. But to me, it's so interesting that the race stuff, you know, which we all kind of knew, it's like it wasn't, it's a television show. You could visibly see mm-hmm. the racial dynamics or racial problems of the show, like even if you're just catching commercials. But it seems to me that like what really has undercut the foundation is like that that lack of authenticity, which again, it's not like people didn't know, but when you're seeing them, they, they can't even translate it into influence. And look, you can make the cases not just about the Bachelor Nation's decline, but about Instagram's decline, right? That that's not the social mm-hmm. media content people want anymore. This highly filtered highly, you know, sort of fantasy driven, Instagrammable content, like even I know you don't want to, but I'm trying to get you on Be Real, this really cool new social network that's all built around like everybody posts at the same time. We're not filtering. We're not picking the prettiest image. It takes a picture with the front camera and the back camera. And you just see where everybody's at that moment, which I think is really cool. 
Mm-hmm. And how did you try and sell it to me? You said, here's what will happen. You'll get an alert, then you'll open your phone and it will turn on your front facing camera. Again, I am a lady in my 40s. The thought of having my front facing camera on me at some point during the day, that is nightmare fuel. That is not fun. It's fine. I tell you it's fun. But again, that's like that's where we're heading with that's what they the the argument with Snapchat. That's the argument with TikTok yeah. and the be real, all these other things is that we people don't want that highly edited, highly filtered, you know, less than authentic. I think that's probably true for a lot of reality shows yeah. as well. We know they're scripted. So but then we get mad because they're you're just like, well, this is the plot line they gave us, you know, and 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 it's like, yeah, but we hate that. And we so there was it. a we, there was a really interesting thing that did happen, which I think I told you. There's a couple of interesting things. One, someone paid a coach to tell them how oh, to right. win um, right. The Bachelor. And we still don't know who that person was on this last Because the coach season. went on a podcast and talked about that, like, this is what I'm doing, right? The coach is a podcast host, and they revealed that they were coaching someone on this last season. Right. Um, and But we don't know who it was or how far they went on the show. Also, probably not the first person to get coaching or have a coach, right? No. I'm sure not. Well, yeah, because people have people know it's a game. People know it's right. a, it's a thing you can play up. But what happened a couple years ago? Now I don't remember. Um, on Bachelor in Paradise, the one that happens in Mexico, um, the entire country turned on this couple because when they are you arrive on the beach and then people come down, you're supposed to just be open to dating, right? And so the allegation was which was true. There was a guy who was there who kind of pretended to date this one girl until the girl he was secretly dating arrived and then ditched that girl and went with the girl that he had already made a previous connection with outside of the show. And then they were caught on camera discussing how many Instagram followers they were going to get because of their time on the show or their exposure or whatever. And the way that people turned against them, it was so amazing. It was so fascinating. Because, because everyone, what? They just said the quiet part out loud? Exactly. Everyone knows that's what you're there for. But the absolute pearl clutching, the gasps of the, the other contestants being like, oh, they said they're here for Instagram followers. <laughs> and you can't, you're not allowed to say that part out loud. Right. You're not. And so it's this funny game that everybody is playing where you have to pretend like you're there for a reason other than why you're there. And But in that article that I was reading about how that pipeline has dried up, they were saying their suggestion was that maybe that will be good for the franchise if it goes back to people having to show up for the actual premise of the show and not be guaranteed the Instagram detox tea sponsorship, then (laughs) maybe it becomes interesting again. And maybe it will. I mean, is that true, though? Will it become interesting? Was it ever interesting because of that premise? I'm not so sure. Oh, um, because of the premise of the show, it has been fascinating. There has been so much drama that is not manufactured because you have um, really, really young and no, let's say good, yeah. impressionable or Immature. drunk yeah, <laughs> um, people making choices and watching people make choices uh, is guaranteed going to be a good time. True. That's true. That is true. That is a fair... Point. Yeah, it is yeah. fascinating to watch people make choices. I agree with that. And I will say there's something about it, right? There is something about reality TV shows that people know. It's junk food. It's comforting. It's 
interesting, but not heavy. Right. And I can't watch heavy things. So that's true. Right. Fascinating, but, but not burdensome. Yeah. And so I like to watch it, but there is a part of me that continues to watch The Bachelor, I would say for a couple of reasons. One, because I love the podcast recap and I going. I want to see the outfits that they saw so that I can also understand their commentary on it. <laughs> That's the main thing. It's really their fault. If they stopped, I would probably stop watching. <laughs> they should so, save people. Save people. Yeah, you, they really should. It's this is all their fault. But also, <laughs> I'm nervous I would move to a different franchise. I would move to something else. Like that the would Real be Housewives. The Real, I've never watched a single episode of The Real Housewives. And I am nervous that then I would fall into it and no one would ever see me again. And I would just, <laughs> so it's nice because it, it kind of feeds that need that like, it's like kind of nice. I have one that I follow, but I, if I didn't, what, what would happen to me? Where would I go? <laughs> All right. I so will say Below Deck is better, but I also have to try and limit my exposure to the Below Deck series. I don't even know what Below Deck so is. Oh my god, it's so good! There, it's um, on yachts. It follows the crew of um, mega yachts. And oh no, that I'm into. It's like yeah. it's like Downton Abbey, but reality yes. show. And so, I what I don't understand about that one is that the people up top, the people who are paying for the yacht, agree to also be filmed, and they're so terrible. The people <laughs> who are on there, they are absolutely. What do they care, monsters. Leslie? If they own yachts like that, they don't care. Who cares? No, they don't own them. They're renting them. These are poor oh. rich people. Oh, okay. I want to watch this then. That You've sold yeah. me. Okay. Well, I'll definitely fellow below dog. Before we wrap up, so do you think Bachelor Nation has jumped the shark? Yes or no? Mm, yes. I think the show is no longer what it was. I don't think it has the influence that it once had. I think... It could be something interesting again in the future. It could adapt. It could change. I definitely think if it stopped, that would also be fine. Everyone would be fine, <laughs> including me. I'd maybe even be better. I don't know. There's no way to know because <laughs> they'll never stop. I love it. I love it. Well, Leslie, thank you for filling in, co-hosting Paint Suit Politics today. It's been a delight. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Everybody, please pre-order our book. And also, exciting news at the end of the show, you can also pre-order the audiobook now, finally. woohoo! So make sure you can click the link in the show notes. Again, if you do so, you'll get access to our pre-order bonus. I'll be back in your ears on Friday with my husband, Nicholas. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Catherine Vollmer. 
Amy Whited, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Ashley Thompson, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.